Hey, thanks for joining us here on our podcast at Vibe Church. We know this message is going to bless you. Hey, I got to tell you, I'm so excited for the Word of God today. Are you ready for God's Word? Are you hungry for the Word? How many people enjoyed the series we just finished? Did you get revelation from it? I trust you enjoyed it. At least it looked like you did. And we're starting a brand new series today that I am so excited about. I cannot tell you, I've been, uh, even before we finished our last series, I was planning for this one and so much revelation that God was giving me for this series. And, And I know you would be just as excited if you actually knew what the series was. But we've been kind of keeping it elusive. We've been holding it back, kind of keeping it close to our chest so we could, in a way, surprise you and and, and unveil it today. And I'm going to do that in just a minute because I'm so excited for what it's going to produce in you and in us as a church. But before I give you the series title, I want to go and give you some scripture. Can I do that? So why don't you grab your Bibles out while you stay standing. We're just going to stand for a little bit longer, all of our locations. Grab your Bible out, grab your device And I know some of you are not doing anything, which means you know that we're going to put it up on the screen. But I do always encourage you to have your own Bible to make sure I'm not preaching from the gospel of Adam. I'm actually preaching from the word of the Lord. And today we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 14. We're going to go back to the beginning. We're going to go to the first book in the Bible from Genesis chapter 14. And what we find here in Scripture is we have a situation where... Several kings from different regions are at war with each other. And, and they formed alliances and they formed some battle lines. And as a result of a siege, we'll find that Abraham's nephew, Lot, has been taken captive by the invading forces. And so I want to jump into the story at Genesis chapter 14 and verse 11. It says this, The victorious invaders... Then plundered Sodom and Gomorrah and headed for home, taking with them all the spoils of war and the food supplies. They also captured Lot, Abram's nephew, who lived in Sodom and carried off everything he owned. But one of Lot's men escaped and reported everything to Abraham the Hebrew, who was living near the oak grove belonging to Mamre the Amorite. Mamre and his relatives, Eskol and Anna, were Abraham's allies. When Abram heard that his nephew Lot had been captured, he mobilized the 318 trained men who had been born into his household. Then he pursued Kedor Laomar's army until he caught up with them at Dan. Verse 15. There he divided his men and attacked during the night. Kedor Laomar's army fled, but Abram chased them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. Abram recovered all the goods that had been taken and he brought back his nephew Lot with his possessions and all the women and other captives. Y'all, I was telling my daughter this story earlier this morning and she said, Dad, this would make a great movie right now. How many people know this is a fierce battle going on? Verse 17, it says, After Abram returned from his victory over Kedor Laomar and all his allies, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Sheva. And Melchizedek, the king of Salem, and a priest of God Most High brought Abram some bread and wine. Melchizedek blessed Abram with this blessing. Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High who has defeated your enemies for you. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods he had recovered. Today we're going to start a brand new series that I'm very excited about, simply entitled Limping Livestock. 
And it's a series that is going to be centered around the tithe. And I am I know you're excited. I know you just can't wait to get into it. I knew we had to keep it as a surprise to keep the suspension and the anticipation like just just like holding it for you. I can tell by your face that you're excited about this. But trust me, it is going to be a revelation packed series where we dive into the word of God and really unpack this truth around the tithe. What is the tithe? What does God have for us? through the tithe. And I want to do that with a sermon I'm simply entitling The Meaning of the Tithe. Are you ready for God's Word? Are you happy to stay for a little bit? Amen. Well, as you get ready for God's Word, find 15 people around you real quick. Give them a big, big bear hug and say, I want to know the meaning. I want to know the meaning. Go for it. Come on, all our locations, San Francisco, San Jose, Oakland. Let's go right now. Palo Alto. Let's hug somebody. 15 people. Tell them, I want to know the meaning, the meaning of the tithe. Amen, amen, amen. I want to encourage you also from the beginning of this sermon to be as interactive as you possibly can. Given the sensitive nature of this subject, the more you interact, the less likely you'll feel like like I'm preaching at you. And maybe you feel like I'm preaching to your neighbor, amen, over this series. So anytime you feel like it or don't feel like it, just say amen in faith and believe that God's going to speak right into your heart. Because anytime you speak on a sensitive subject like this, as a preacher, I know that I've got to prepare myself for less, less shouts and more silence. Simply because this is a subject that really hasn't been taught that well. It's a subject that really hasn't got a lot of Limelight, because it, it, it often hits a sensitive area in people's lives. In fact, anytime you talk about money and finances in church, there is often a little shudder that tends to kind of creep through people. And, 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 and I'm making sure that it's not too, too cold in here in this service so that you can interact and that you can stay attentive, amen, and learn from the Word of God. And, and what I have found, though, is, and, and for good reason, people often feel somewhat hesitant around this subject because Hardly ever has it been taught that well, to be honest with you. Often people aren't taught or is anybody confident enough to actually talk on the subject. And for me as, as your pastor, I never want to teach from a place of emotion around giving. I always want to teach giving as an act of devotion. And so that's why I'm confident to come from the truth of God's Word, not my own wisdom. My whole goal today is simply to unpack God's Word for you. I'm going to give you a whole lot of Scripture around the tithe, a whole lot of what the Bible has to say, so you can blame God. Amen. And you can take it up with Him. I'm just His servant. And I, I decided a long time ago, Frederick, I decided that, that I don't care about what people think. I care about what God thinks. So if God tells me to teach something, I'm going to teach it with all conviction, knowing that because it comes from His Word and every single word in the Bible is true. Would you agree? So if it's in his word, we're going to preach it. And so to set us up for today and really to talk about the tithe over this series, uh, I know that for me, I've been giving, I've been giving to God ever since my dad gave me 50 cents in Sunday school to give. I even gave money that wasn't mine. I gave my dad's money a long time ago and my daughters do that today. But I've been a bringer of the tithe ever since my first job when I was 14 years and nine months old. I got my first job at McDonald's thanks to the manager named Natalie who reminded me uh, emphatically that she's taking a risk on me at that young age. I didn't know what she meant 
then, but now I do. She was taking a risk. She, she had faith in me, but I'm glad she did. And, and since that time, I have been a bringer of the tithe. And my testimony personally in my life has been one of God's goodness, God's provision. Just look at my wife and you will see that God blesses <laughs> unconditionally, without merit or favor. God just blesses you. Amen. And that may have been because I double tithed. I don't know. But regardless, I, I feel somewhat, uh, somewhat confident to preach on the area of the tithe. And I plan on explaining uh, the tithe to you. Over this, over this sermon, I'm going, to plain, I'm going to explain that in great detail by the time we're done today. But, but really, as a result of in my life of seeing firsthand what God has done, I'm so excited to really understand and believe that what we're going to see as an individuals and as a church is going to be something different as a result of this series. I'm looking forward to seeing what God's going to do in your marriages. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what God's going to do in your kid's life as you establish a system of honoring the Lord in your family. And I believe that we're going to see something significant that God's going to call us to as a church. In fact, in fact, I know this to be true. That, that a lot of people are often stuck in a, in a cycle of fear when it comes to finances because of a warped sense of God's resources. But, but I want to remind people that you don't have to remain subject to a limited perspective of God. God has an unlimited resource. Would you agree? So today I'm going to be praying for those that have never heard teaching around the tithe for God to give you revelation. And for those who have heard some teaching on the tithe that you would get set free in some areas of your life to be really able to activate these, these areas of obedience in your life, to be able to see God unlock something in your life and what He wants to do through your life. Amen. And to stay true to my, my desire to be a teacher today and to teach the Word of God, i got a teaching screen. That's for all you visual learners out there. Don't worry, I got you, okay? After a while, just too much talking kind of begins to be like, just like background noise. So i got, a, I got some teaching aid today. And, and I really want to kind of talk to you in sections. I, I want to talk on the meaning of the tithe and give you some words to frame our perspective. Are you ready to go on the journey today? Put your, your, your pen and paper out ready like good school students. And we're going to do some teaching around the meaning of the tithe. And the first word I want to give you is principle. Maybe you can go ahead and write these down. I'm trying to make it real easy for you to take notes in church. The better notes you take, the better place you get in heaven, apparently. And so I want to encourage you just to, you know, get a condo in heaven. Amen. So I'm just messing. So, so, so principle, I want to talk about the tithe as principle. How many people would consider themselves to be people of principle? Do I have anybody here that would consider themselves to be one of you? Awesome. This is... This is we're off to a great start, 11.30 service, amen? Well, let me rephrase that. How many people have convictions in life that determine the things that you do, that you are a person of character and a person of principle? That's a little bit better. Well, I found that, that uh, a friend of mine, you may know him by, by simply Vlad. How many, how many people are familiar with Vlad? You, you, you know Vlad or you've heard of Vlad? Uh, I've talked about Vlad before. Vlad is a part of our church and, and uh, one of my favorite pe people to travel with. When I travel, I often go with Vlad or he, and he's worked on some projects with me. And, uh, and Vlad's a fascinating character. I, I encourage you to get to know Vlad. Vlad. Vlad does some strange things. He does say some bizarre stuff, but he also has some moments of pure genius, some brilliant moments that really validate him being around. Okay, so, and it's those moments that I look for in the chaos but, 
But I remember just, just recently we were on a project together and, uh, and, and I was rooming with Vlad. And something that I've noticed several times now that Vlad does without fail every morning, it doesn't matter the time of day that we go. And often some of these projects of filming that we do, we have to be out at like 4 a.m. To, to go and get the sunlight and all that kind of stuff. And even at 4 a.m. before he does anything else, like before he brushes his teeth, before he goes to the bathroom, before he does anything, Vlad will turn around and make his bed. Does anybody else do that? Anybody else here that's like, like, and, and I mean, for us who don't do that, we kind of are still trying to like find where the door is at that time of the day. You, you don't know which way's up. Sometimes I wake up and I think, where am I? Where am I? Like, God, where are you right now? Are you alive at this time of the morning? This surely isn't a godly hour. But yet, yet Vlad's there just turning and making a bed like he's in the military and and I had to ask him, I had to say, Vlad, why is it that you prioritize this as the first thing you do? Eyes closed and everything, just making the bed. And he told me that this had become a precedence in his life that he sets at the beginning of his day. For if he does not make his bed, if his bed is out of order, then it sets the precedence for his entire day to be out of order. And, and as bizarre as that is, I see some wisdom in that to to set some principles in your life that direct your life, some principles that frame your world, some principles to live by that establish you as a person of principle, a person of principle. And, and what I find here and what's fascinating to me is principle, the idea of a principle really is a fundamental truth that serves as the foundation for a system of belief or behavior. A fundamental truth, a foundational truth, setting the, the foundation right, making sure our foundation is solid. And that's what a principle is. And this is essentially what we see here in Genesis. At the beginning of the Bible, we see a story of Abraham before, before God changed his name to Abraham. In fact, he was Abram. And, and this passage that we just read in Genesis chapter 14 is the first ever recording of the tithe in the Bible. So I thought we'd go back to the origin if we're going to establish a series on the tithe and we're going to get some good foundational theological teaching on the tithe, we need to see the origin of the tithe. Would you agree? Are you ready to go on a little bit of a historical journey in the Bible? Any Bible nerds here? Any Bible scholars or desiring to be? Four of you. Man, this is going to be great. It's going to be great Sunday, Pastor Luke. I feel like the church is with me. I feel like we're just ready to go. Go with me, church. Amen, amen. I know San Francisco is dialed in. They love the tithe. San Jose, man, they're good givers. But, but, but I want to really kind of dial us in as one church together as we kind of discover what, what God wants to speak to us about the tithe. And this story in Genesis chapter 14 has two characters in particular. We have Abram and Melchizedek. Abram is a man of God and not a military leader. But yet upon his region being attacked and his nephew being kidnapped, he mobilizes and just happens to have 318 trained men who were connected to his household, connected to his brothers and his relatives, 318 trained men that he mobilizes. And then we see something miraculous because he defeats the king. He defeats the enemy. We then see that upon his return... 
he is met by the king of Salem, who is also the high priest, Melchizedek, who prayed a prayer of blessing over Abram. Check it out again. It says this, verse 19. Melchizedek blessed Abram with this blessing. Check it out. Blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. He, he kind of puts perspective around who God actually is. He, he created heaven and earth, the earth you walk on, what you, the air you breathe, the water you drink. God created all that, what's in your lungs right now, keeping you alive. He pushed your heart to start it. All of that comes from God most high. And then he says, and blessed be God most high who has defeated your enemies for you. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods he had recovered. What Melchizedek was doing is he was putting into perspective for Abram the fact that it was God who won the victory. It was God who defeated the enemy. It was, it was in combination, sure. I mean, Abram had to go out with his sword, but don't get it twisted. It was by the hand of God that you had the miraculous victory against an armed king and an armed enemy. And as a response, what we see to this perspective and to this blessing, Abram does something unprecedented in Scripture before this moment. He takes a tenth of everything that they had collected, all the spoils of war. He, ta- he takes a tenth of that and, and he gives it to Melchizedek. He, he honors the Lord by blessing that him who he saw as greater. He acknowledged that this blessing was from the Lord, so in automatic response... A principle in his life was to bless the Lord in recognition of the Lord's provision. That's what he's doing. Taking a tenth, say, God, I'm going to bless you. God, I'm going to honor you. I know it wasn't by my might. I'm not even trained in military tactics. But somehow, me and 318 guys who can throw a sword around somehow got a miraculous victory. We got back Lot and we got back the ladies. Thank you, Jesus. This is what he's saying. And, 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 and he honors the Lord with a, with a tenth. And this is a principle. Do you know people who live by principle live a little bit differently? They live in such a way where they see everything that they have as coming from somewhere beyond themselves. People who don't live by principle, they, they live differently too. They, they, all, they hardly ever turn up on time. How many people know that? Anybody met somebody like that where they don't turn up on time, they turn up late, and, and their position is, well, you're just lucky to have me. That's the people who don't live by pr- principle. People who don't live by principle also kind of live with a me-first mentality where they're driven by insecurity rather than integrity. In fact, I, we watched something funny the other day. Uh, we, we were on Facebook, and we saw this clip um, from, from the Ellen show, and this thing was amazing. You know, Ellen, Ellen's hilarious, and... and yeah, she, she was like, just, it was like a public shaming, okay, clear. Because she had this thing set up, it was a setup where she'd set up this table for all her guests that were coming onto her show with some of her own uh, resources. Maybe you saw this clip where she had some of her product on there, Ellen hat, Ellen shirt, Ellen mug. And she had a sign set up on the table that simply said, uh, one per person, strictly one per person. And then in true Ellen fashion, she set up a hidden camera. And it's fascinating as she played it back to watch different people who were like wrestling over which product to have. You know, they're like, I like the hat, but I like the shirt. And they're holding both of them. And you think, man, they're going to take them both. But then they're like, oh, it says one per person. They put one back and they, they decide on one. And it was surprising because most everyone did that except for one person. And you have this one lady who she didn't care about the sign. She was like, it's free. And so she's like, like stashing stuff. 
in her handbag and her friend with her was like, hey, it says one per person. She's like, shh, just, they won't even know. They won't even know. And then in true Ellen fashion, she, she plays it back during the show. And this lady who was on camera is in the audience freaking out. All of a sudden, the, the film stops and Ellen highlights who she is. And she's like publicly shamed right now. I mean, Ellen is savage, man. She's just like straight. She don't care. And she's like, why, why didn't you take more than one? Like the sign was obvious. And this lady fumbles around and says, oh, you know, uh, my, my sister couldn't be here. And Ellen just, Ellen, Ellen, Ellen just delivers this line. She says, she says, she says, yeah, a lot of sisters couldn't be here. Savage. <laughs> I wonder how we would live if we really lived with an understanding of God's provision in our life. You thought I was going to say how would we live with a hidden camera on us, didn't you? That's what you thought. <laughs> If God was really watching. <laughs> like Ellen. I like my daughter said this. This is just a little freebie. My daughter the other day, she, she was talking about how, how like Ellen, Ellen always gives away stuff, right? And I don't care what your view of Ellen is. Okay, I don't care. She's funny. And, uh, and she's like, her name is... Ellen DeGeneres, it should be Ellen the Generous. And then we were, and then we were like talking how she's been generous lately. She, they said, can I change my name to Tazali the Generous? That's what she said straight up. I said, nope. But I wonder how we would live if we were to exactly acknowledge God's provision in our lives. Is that too personal? I plan on getting a little more personal than that, don't worry. So I'm glad it's not too personal. In fact, the tithe isn't just principle in God's word. Did you know that the tithe is also personal. The tithe is also personal. Start work there. Personal. Technology, don't fail me now. The tithe is, is personal. The tithe is, is personal to you because the tithe, literally word tithe means tenth. It sounds the same. The word tithe means tenth. It's tenth of your income. The first tenth percent, 10% of your income is the tithe, not somebody else's income. Not, not, not your friend's income, not the biggest income. It's personal to your income. How good is God that he makes it 10%? Now, 10% is 10%. Whether you make $100, $1,000, $100,000, a tenth is relative to you. I'm taking you to math school for a good reason because I want to break down that God makes the tithe personal to us. 10% is 10%. I have people all the time tell me, oh, pastor, I'm, I'm, I'm tithing 5%. And I want to say, you fool, you can't because, because it doesn't make sense. That's what I want to say. I don't say that. I'm a much nicer pa pastor in person. Don't worry about that. I'm so bold on the platform, but in person, I'm much sweeter than what I am up here. But, but, but in my mind, I'm saying like, you, you're saying I, you can't tithe 5% because the tithe means 10th. That's what the tithe means. You can't just change it. it that's what it means. So, so you're giving 5% of your income, but you're not tithing. Amen. So the tithe means means tenth. And there are so many passages in the Bible on the tithe that I plan on showing you over this series. So brace yourself. This series is going to be fun. This series is going to be creative. We've got, we've got a whole bunch of things we're doing over this series that are going to really, really kind of capture you and help you understand God's heart for the tithe. But, but, but when we're talking about the meaning of the tithe, the meaning of the tithe means tenth. It's, it's straightforward. 
And while there are so many passages on the tithe in the Bible, one of my favorite and one of the best passages we have is from Malachi 3.10. How many people know this passage? You've probably heard it before. It says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the window of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. How many people think that sounds pretty good that God's like, I got so much blessings, just I'm waiting to pour out. I'm waiting to pour out blessings that you can't even imagine. I got blessings that upon blessings. I got, I got storerooms of blessings. I want to bust them open over your life. And I'm giving you a way to access it. Just bring the tithe. Bring the tithe. And I like this because this passage doesn't just tell us what the tithe is. 10%. It also tells us where the tithe goes. It says the storehouse. Another way to say storehouse is your house. Can I get some little appreciation for that rhyme? That, I, took me a week to come up with that one. It's easy to remember the storehouse is your house, the place where you're challenged, the place where you're fed, the place where you're stretched, the place where the Word of God comes right into your lap each and every week. That is the storehouse that God talks about. Now, if this is not your church, then this is not your storehouse. If you don't go to this church, if you're visiting and you're thinking, why did I visit on Tide Sunday? Blame your friend, okay? But we tricked them too. But if this is not your house, take this teaching and apply it in your church, okay? If you don't go to this church, don't tithe to this church because this is not your storehouse. Tithe in the place where you belong. We also don't take our tithe and give our tithe to World Vision. We don't give our tithe to charities. We don't give our tithe to your daddy's church. As good as it is to support those things, and as Christians, we should be supporters. In fact, as believers and followers of Jesus, we should be the most generous supporters of charities and causes that this world has ever seen. But it doesn't come out of what belongs to the Lord. That's God's. That's, that's God's tithe. He said, give me the first. Give me the first tenth. In fact, I would, love to, I would love to talk about the tithe in greater detail because, in fact, you know what? I've had people even tell me, you know, the reason I don't, I don't give to the church is because I don't trust the church. I've been hurt by the church. And, and as, as sorry that I am that, of that experience with the church, we're not that church. And I'm so glad that you don't treat your wife through the filter of your ex-girlfriend who broke your heart one time. I'm glad that you give her a fresh start and you put trust in that relationship despite what's happened in your past. I was talking to one of our board members who, who said to me, is this hard preaching? Is this, is this tough? I feel some people sweating in here. I was talking to one of our board members one time. Through, and, and he was talking about how, how he, he, when he first started tithing, the biggest hurdle for him was the fact that he didn't, he didn't trust what the church, he didn't know what the church was going to do with the money. So he held it back, saying, well, how can, I, how can I know what they're going to do with the money, where they're going to spend the money? How do I get a say on where the church spends their money? And then his mom, who was a grown lady, he's a grown man at this stage, and his mother said, hey, honey, like only a mother can, even to a grown man, you know what I mean? Says, says honey, uh, that's not your responsibility. What the church does with the finances that the church receives is unto God. God will judge the church for what they do. God judges you on what you do. So give the tithe. Good mama bear. Amen. And I want to teach you this actually even a little more accurately. Can I do this? Because the tithe isn't just 10%. 
The Bible makes it very clear that the tithe is the first 10%. It's the, it's, it's the first. What's, what's the first mean? Well, I don't know how, how easy I can make this sound, but the first thing that comes out of your paycheck from what comes in is the first. I know I'm, I'm doing deep, deep teaching here. I mean, you go to like four years of seminary for this stuff. It's the, it's, it's the first. Why is it the first? Now, that's a better question. Why is it the first? Well, what we see in history, and we see from the, from the foundation, from the starting point, from the origin of the tithe, it was, it was a matter of principle for Abram. Abram was acknowledging God's provision, God's victorious breakthrough in his life. And so out of principle, he honors the Lord with a tenth of his income. And from that moment, he establishes for all time the principle of the tithe. After that, we see that what was principle for Abram, under Moses, it became, under the law of Moses, it became ritual. Go with me. I'm going to give you some big words, but it's going to help your perspective. Because I get a lot of people that tell me, oh, the tithe is, is Old Testament teaching. <laughs> I get people tell me that the tithe is, is law teaching. Well, well, let me correct some, some, some bad teaching that you got on the internet by some guy who's writing from his mom's basement who doesn't have a job and who's bitter at the church. Let me teach you some correct that it didn't start with the law. It started with principle from Abraham. Abram acknowledging God's provision. But when it did get to the law of Moses, what was principle became ritual. It became a requirement of the law to honor God because it was no longer personal for the people. In fact, the people of God, the Israelites, had a, had a bad memory. They had a very good forgettery. We know this about God's people because, in fact, anytime God instructed God's people to, to do anything, He always says, oh, and don't forget the Lord. He says, remember all his ways, because they constantly forgot what God would do. They would constantly forget that he brought them out of captivity and set them on a new plan and a promise and took them into the land flowing with milk and honey. They would forget and they would complain all the time. And so what God would do and what he did was not personal to them. So under the law, it had to become a ritual, a ritual. Now, true to law living, what was required became bare minimum. Now, if something's required, all right, you don't, you don't pay admission to a theme park and feel like, you know what? I feel like adding 10 bucks. You don't do that. And if you do, you're crazy, okay? You don't go up and, and, and here's, your, here's your meal and, and feel like, you know what? That looks so good. I'm just going to double it. You don't do that. Because you pay the required amount or the bare minimum. And this is what law living did. They, they took what was the law and they would do the, what, what can I get away with? How small can I go? Where, can, where is the minimum level that just scrapes me in and qualifies me? That's what I'm going to pay. So what Moses does, knowing that this is how the people would live, in Deuteronomy, he had to put some articulation around what qualified the tithe, what qualified an offering that was acceptable to the Lord. And what we see in Deuteronomy is that he articulates in Deuteronomy 15 that the offering had to be the, the first. It had to be the firstborn or the first fruits from any harvest. And any increase that you got, you had to honor the first increase the first fruits or the firstborn had to be honored, had to be sacrificed to the Lord. 
Then in Leviticus, it goes even deeper to articulate exactly what an offering that was acceptable to God was. And in Leviticus, we see that not only did it have to be the first, and in the case where it couldn't be the first, it had to be the best. It had to be the spotless lamb. It had to be the unblemished animal sacrifice. Let me show you. I told you I was going to give you some scripture. In Leviticus chapter 22, verse 17, it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Give Aaron and his sons and all the Israelites these instructions, which apply to both native Israelites and to foreigners living among you. Amen. Amen. That's all of us. Okay. He says, If you present a gift as a burnt offering to the Lord, whether it is to fulfill a vow or as a voluntary free will offering, you will be, uh, you, you will be accepted only if you... If your offering is a male animal with no defects, okay, it may be a bull, a ram, or a male goat, do not present an animal with defects because the Lord will not accept it on your behalf. If you present a peace offering to the Lord from the herd or the flock, whether it is to fulfill a vow or a voluntary offering, you must offer a perfect animal. It may have no defect of any kind. Verse 22, you must not offer an animal that is blind, crippled, or injured, or that, was, that has a wart, <laughs> Or a skin sore or scabs, okay? Such an, they're bad animals. Such animals must never be offered on the altar as special gifts to the Lord. This was the instruction that he had to give around law living. Because law was, what's the minimum I can get away with? Not how do I, how do I show God how great he is in my life and how do I honor the Lord, but what can I get away with? And by the time we come to Malachi. Because what we see in Malachi, which is the last book in the Old Testament, what we find is that's exactly what the Israelites began to do. They, they began to bring to God their limping livestock. <laughs> this is where we got the series title from, because they began to treat God with contempt. They, they, they started to think, well, I know we've got some required rituals that we have to perform. I, I know back in that day, this is before Jesus became the once and for all sacrifice, atoning us for our sins. So if you wanted to atone for the sin that you made under law, you had a very clear articulation of what got you out of the trouble that you got yourself into. You had to kill this many goats or this many. There was, there was a this for that kind of mentality. And so in that mentality that came down to what can we get away with? And they began to discover that, man, it's, it's, it's just going up in smoke anyway. I mean, it's just going to be burnt on the altar why does it matter if it's lame or injured? The animals that they couldn't sell or were too sick for them to eat, they, they, they would offer that to the Lord. Animals that were defective, animals that hold no value because it was ritual, it wasn't personal. And so they brought that to God, thinking it's going to go up in smoke anyway. Who really sees? Who really knows? Let's just dress it up and pretend like, like it's what's required for the sacrifice. Are you still with me? And so what we see is that God needs to get a message to his people. And this is why we have the book of Malachi. The whole book of Malachi is dedicated to this. In fact, the, the name Malachi means my messenger. And God wants to get a message to his people. He writes this in the first chapter of Malachi. In addressing his people in verse 12, he says, But you dishonor my name with your actions by bringing contemptible food. You are saying it's all right to defile the Lord's table. You say it's too hard to serve the Lord. And you turn up your noses at my commands, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Think of it. Animals that are stolen and crippled and sick are being presented as offerings. Should I accept from you such offerings as these, asks the Lord? 
Cursed is the cheat who promises to give a fine ram from his flock, but then sacrifices a defective one to the Lord, for I am a great king. The people of God had no personal revelation. No personal revelation. So they gave God their leftovers, their, their, their limping livestock, what was, what was at the end of their paycheck, what was, what was available after they've spent everything else and they've paid everything else and they've put some away for themselves. They said, well, God, I got this left over. And maybe you're, not, maybe you're thinking this is not a, a relevant topic for today. Maybe, maybe you're thinking that this is not, hey, whoa, they're here already? I need you guys to give me five more minutes. Go chill. Go chill out the back and... and uh, Watch on screen for a moment. Give it up for them real quick. All our locations, all our MDs can just chill for a minute. Because i got to teach something. And I'm not even nearly done yet. I'm teaching good stuff here. I don't want to have the magic music come in just yet. Don't need that Holy Spirit keys just yet. What was I saying? That's right. You might, you might even be thinking, because I, I don't want this to be an emotion. That's why I want to shut that down, because I don't want emotion with this. I want to bring the truth of God's Word. And so, so what we have is, is this understanding, well, surely this isn't a relevant topic today, but I want to tell you that this is just some stats. You can take it or leave it. You can handle it however you can. But the stats are that only 8% of people that call Vive Church their church tithe. 8%. So this is a very relevant topic for us to unpack. If we want to move into a zone where we live by faith and we walk into what God has for us, we need to get some fundamental truths right in our house first. Amen. And so what we've got is, is, is this understanding that the tithe has to be first. The tithe isn't at the end of the month. The tithe doesn't come to God after you. Because we could ask, well, what's a limping livestock in my life? Well, it's the last thing at the end of the flock, the thing that you have left over. It's, the, it's after you've paid the mortgage, you've paid the insurance, you've paid the tuition, you've even paid tax to the government who is not your provider. Even after all that, then we calculate, God, what's left? Are you happy with it? God says, I ain't happy. I ain't happy because I want the first. I want you to recognize where your provision comes from. I want you to recognize that I am the Lord your God who loves you and the very breath in your lung and the skill of your hands that you have to do to earn the money that you make, it comes from me. So would you honor the one who gave you the skill in the first place? Tenth, the first tenth. It's personal. It's personal. It's personal. You know, I've even spoken to people who have told me, Pastor, I'm just trying to be conversational because, because I have conversations around the tithe all the time. And I've had people say, but Pastor, surely you're not the kind of person that would promote us neglecting our responsibilities because I got debts. I, I, I got student loans. Holler at me. I got student loans and I got credit card debts. And, and surely they're saying, they say, surely you wouldn't be advocating us neglecting our responsibilities. And, and by all means, no, I'm not advocating you neglect your responsibilities. You got yourself in that mess. You got to get yourself out. Amen. It was your dumb decision. Amen. Anyway. Anyway, just preach the truth, God's word. But what I am promoting is while you honor the debts that you have, it also will require some sacrifice to honor the Lord. So while I'm not saying neglect your debts, I am saying change your lifestyle just a little bit, or maybe dramatically, so that you can still honor the Lord and pay your responsibilities. Amen. I'm glad that one person's standing and shouting and believing in God's Word. Amen. Everyone else is golf clapping. But it's going to require some sacrifice. That's why it's called sacrifice. If it wasn't hard, it wouldn't be called sacrifice. 
But sacrifice costs us something. In fact, this is what the people said in Malachi. We just read it. They said, you say it's too hard to serve the Lord. And you turn up your noses at my command, says the Lord. In my experience, fear is the major reason why people don't tithe. The fear of not having enough. The, the fear around how will I pay my debts? How will I pay my bills? How will I provide? That's a real fear. It's a, it's a real and true fear knowing I've got limited income. I know how much it costs to live. I am, I, I'm not coming from some other part of the planet of the country where it's very cheap to live. I know where you live. I live here too. But the truth of God's word is still the truth that God can provide. But fear holds us back. I don't want my finances to live out of a fear place. I don't want fear to determine my finances. I want faith to, def- to fulfill my finances. In fact, maybe there's another piece of the tithe that we're missing, which is peaceful. In fact, in Hebrews, let me show you how the tithe brings peace into our life. Because Hebrews 7, the writer of Hebrews actually is reminding us of Melchizedek. This is in the New Testament, by the way. All right? Just all the, all the Old Testament haters. Because I like, I like the whole Bible, and the whole Bible has truth. Amen? The whole Bible is relevant. Hebrews chapter 7 says, This Melchizedek, talking about Melchizedek, was king of Salem and priest of God most high. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him, and Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Yep, we got that, writer of Hebrews. We, we saw that in Genesis. But check out what he says this. He, he goes to articulate in deeper detail. First, his name, Melchizedek, means king of righteousness. Then also king of Salem means king of peace. Let's unpack that for a moment real quick. Because because in fact what we find is that the very thing that Abraham was honoring was the king of peace. He, He was inviting when he came and honored the Lord, he was actually inviting peace into his life. In fact, we read in verse 3, without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning or days of end of life, like the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Melchizedek was a type and foreshadow of Christ. And in the Bible, Jesus has been given many names. Jesus is given the name, the lily of the valley, the shadow of the lamb. He's been given the bright and morning star, the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace. So let's process this correctly for a moment that when we're fearful about the tithe and what that will look like in our life, do you not think that when you bring your finances under the lordship of the Prince of Peace, that peace will surely not reign over every area of deficit or need that you may have? The Prince of Peace, peace that surpasses all understanding, peace in our, in our relationships, peace in every area of our life. And so, so what I know is, I know that fear holds us back and the, and the fears that we feel around finances are real fears. There's real tension. Real relationship struggles come out of financial fears. But you know what I love the Bible does? The Bible actually gives us a formula for overcoming fear. How many people would like to know that formula? How many people think that this formula might be helpful the next time you find yourself anxious about the future and worrying about finances? Well, check it out in Philippians. I've got to hustle, but I've got to preach some good stuff before I'm done. Because in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, this is going to help people this week. This is going to help you in the way you process anxiety in your life. Because Paul writes this. He says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Well, that's okay for you to say, Paul, but you don't know how many kids I got and how expensive girls are these days. You don't know. Don't worry about anything. Way to go, Paul. But then he says this. He says, tell God what you need 
and thank him for all he has done, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. He says it simple. He says, instead of worrying about it, creating a pit and a prison within yourself around the area of finances, he says, let it out and communicate it to God. Paul says, tell God what you need. Another passage of Scripture says, make your requests known to God. Another passage of Scripture says, you have not because you've asked not. So, so, so we need to make it clear to God, get out of us what's troubling us. He says, step one, tell God what you need. Step two, thank Him for what He's done. In other words, He's like, after you've told God all your needs, and all your great worries that God for somehow didn't know, but you needed to inform him. After you've done that, he says, look back over your life and begin to remind yourself of exactly how God got you this far, that surely He provided for you when you had nothing to your name. Surely He will provide even now when you have a little something and a limited supply. Surely, surely. Don't make me come down off this stage two Sundays in a row, amen. I'll do it. But, but check out what he goes on to say, because this is how you guard your mind with peace. This is how you protect your mind with, with peace. Paul knew what it was. In fact, when Paul wrote many of his letters, he was writing from prison. And I kind of think that when Paul wrote this, trying to find a way to articulate what, what, what giving to God and what generosity will do in your life, he, the only articulation or illustration that he could see was like a guard was keeping him prisoner and keeping him protected, that, then maybe that's the same way that the tithe will. When we give to God, it's like a guard around our life, protecting us from fear, holding fear at bay and holding anxiety at bay so that we can live and flourish in peace. This is good preaching. He goes on to say this then, but check this out. It's not complete because he goes on in verse 8. He says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true, what is honorable, what is right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Verse 9, I like this. Keep putting into practice... All you learn to receive from me, everything, not just some things, not just the things you like and the things that, not the things that are uncomfortable, but everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. He says, keep putting into practice. I want to talk quickly about practice as I close. The practice, the practice of the tithe. I've spoken to people who have had the revelation of the tithe. They see it clearly in God's word. And even believe in, in it being a principle as a true follower and believer of Jesus, yet they simply can't part with the full tithe. They just, just can't. Just can't do it. I want to, I believe it, but I can't. Now, unfortunately for them, revelation without application never results in transformation. <laughs> application is the key of any revelation. Thank you, Eunice. Application. Revelation's one thing. Revelation's a great point. Illumination. God will illuminate His Word through His Spirit and bring you into a place of revelation so that on the other side of revelation and God revealing the way He wants you to live and the way He's called you to live, the way that He wants you to operate as a follower of Him, He still gives you free will to apply His Word. God will not force anything upon you. Applications in your life. Amen. It's gone real quiet in here. I don't know why. And did you know it can't stay at principle? It can't stay at principle. What's principle has to become practice. In fact, we even see this for Abraham. It didn't stay. Yeah, you can come on out because I can close them. I won't, I won't close without you here. 
And what we know is that Abraham, it's, it didn't stay at principle. Because we know that, that Abraham honored the Lord with the first tenth of his reward and what he gathered, and he honored God out of principle. But it didn't stay at principle. Because whilst we see that interaction in Genesis 14, in Genesis 28, 18, we find that Jacob, Abraham's grandson, has a similar habit in his life. A habit that has now passed down through the generations. A practice that has been passed on from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. And then we find Jacob at this situation in verse 18 of chapter 28. It says, The next morning Jacob got up very early. He took the stone he had rested his head against and he set it upright as a memorial pillar. Then he poured olive oil over it. He named that place Bethel, which means house of God. Although it was previously called Luz. Then Jacob made this vow. If God will indeed be with me and protect me on this journey, and if He will provide me with food and clothing, and if I return safely to my father's home, then the Lord will certainly be my God. Not just my father's God, not just the God of Abraham, not just the God of Isaac, but, but, Isaac, but Jacob's like, just if they surely honored the Lord and God has been their God, if God does for me what He's done for them, then He'll be my God too. He says, can't, I can't rest on Him being somebody else's God, my pastor's God. God, my parents God it has to come to a point where I recognize him as my God too and check out how Jacob recognizes God as his Lord he says and and this memorial pillar I have set up will become a place of worshiping God and I will present to God a tenth of everything he gives me he, he's like you know what how I'm gonna I'm gonna qualify I'm gonna recognize a God you're my God I'm gonna honor you with the first tenth I'm gonna tithe that's how I make you my Lord. That's how I glorify you as Lord. That's how I show to everybody else. He's my God. Had he stayed a principle, Abraham, we would have never seen that, that Jacob would have honored God this way. But it became practice in their household and what they established for the generations. It had to become practice. It had to become practice. It had to become practice. And this is the kind of practice that Paul is talking about in Philippians. Not just the repetitive practice, but this word practice that he uses has two meanings. It's the same as to repeat and do over, but it also is the same practice as what it means to stretch. What do I mean? Well, 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 sometimes you don't just practice to do the same thing. You practice to get better. How many people know that? That's why you train. And, and, and our daughters are great singers, but one of our daughters, Zali, I mean, she's got pipes. She is amazing. She can... She can sing, and, and we love it when she sings, and she sings so beautifully, but then she kind of just sticks to the songs that she's, she's good with, you know, and she sings them over and over and over. And, and, and the other day, Kira, I don't know if you did this, honey, to stretch her or just to get the broken record over in our house, but, but she said, hey, I want to I wanna give you a song, and, and, and I don't know the name is Ariana Grande, what's it? Yep, Grande Latte, that's her. She said, try this song. And it's high, like it's high, man. Like she was singing high. And, and Cesali's trying to stretch and she's trying, and it sounded terrible. But you know how happy I am when I walk past her bedroom and it sounds terrible. I'm so much more happy when it sounds terrible than when it just sounds melodic because when it sounds melodic, I know she's staying comfortable. But she's never going to grow in the place of comfort. She's only going to grow in the place of stretch. And her stretching is going to take her to a whole new range. This is what Paul says. Put it into practice. Put it into practice. 
Stand to your feet, stand to your feet. Help me close, help me land this plane, amen. Because what we see in, 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 in Genesis, and I want to say this as I close, what we see in Genesis 14 is Abraham, he, he, he's in this place of, of principle and, and what we've been looking at is the meaning of the tithe. That's what we've been looking at. And what we see in Genesis 14 is Abraham honouring the Lord with the tithe. He comes off battle. He recognised that God brought the provision. It was God that won the victory. So he takes tenth of what he got and he gave it to God. That is the meaning of the tithe. That's the end of chapter 14. Chapter 15 now starts with something different. It says this, Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and, I will, and, and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good is all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children... Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so, so, so one of my servants will be my heir. He's like, God, what's good? What good is all this money? What good is all this blessing if I've got no one to pass it on to? Verse 4, Then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. I like this. Out of one act of giving, one act, one act of giving, one act of honoring the Lord with the tithe after just, just, uh, just acknowledging God as Lord and provider and victor. God takes him out and shows him the stars and shows him the potential of what honoring the Lord can provide in his life. He's lifting the lid off Abraham's limited thinking. He's lifting the lid off Abraham's scarcity mindset. He's lifting the lid of fear off his life. He's trying to expose the grandeur of the bigness of God. And what he does in this passage, because we've been looking at the tithe as God's blessing on our money. But God showed Abraham that he doesn't just want to bless him with money. He says, Abraham, I want to bless you with meaning. I want, I want to put something in you that money can't buy. As you honor me, it's not just money that's going to be your reward. It's even greater than finances. Finances are temporal. Finances are here today, gone tomorrow. Finances are not what we're building our lives on. God says, I want to open up the idea of meaning in your life. I want to connect you to the purpose. I want to connect you to the plan. I wonder if our tithe has more to do with meaning than it does with money but it just starts with money and as we bring to God the first of the money then God says watch as I reveal the meaning that surrounds the tithe I put things in perspective I show you how I will provide I rain blessings upon you God says I got blessings in heaven that you ain't even ready for I got windows I want to open over your life if you would just come to me and honour me watch as I will bless every area of your life. How many people know we have a good God? God does not put the tithe on us like a restriction, like a weight that we have to bear, like a penalty that we have to carry because now we're followers of Jesus and now I have to carry this penalty through my life like I'm being taxed under God. It's not a tax. 
It's a doorway. It's an opportunity. It's a, it's a pathway into God's blessing. God is the God of exchange, my friends. He always said, I want to exchange, but you want to receive salvation? Give up bitterness. Give up shame. Let go of guilt. You've got you to exchange joy for mourning, beauty for ashes, strength for weakness. This is the exchange. God says, I want to bless you. But would you honor the blesser? Would you honor the blesser? Now I love preaching this. I'm so excited about this series because I just get to preach God's word to you. What you do with it is on you. I'm not preaching this to get your money. That's why we're not taking up an offering now. We're not taking up a surprise offering. I'm not preaching this to get your money. I would dare say we don't need your money. Well, pastor, doesn't the church have things that they need to do and we rent, we need properties and we need all that. Yeah, yeah, there's stuff that we need to do and believe in God for, but, but you're not our provision. God is our resource. And God's been providing for this house long before you came, long before you filled a seat, long before you took the benefits of the church. God was providing and He will, man, even rocks will cry out if the saints do not sing His praises. God will provide. But when you bring your tithe to God, you get to participate in the purpose of God. It's for you. It's for you. Hey, thank you for joining us here at this podcast. We hope it blessed you. And if you want to check out more about our service times, locations, or how to partner with us financially, check out vivechurch.org.